0: Judgment Day, Volume 2, Prelude to Armageddon, Part 2, Israel catapulted to global superpower as Russia succumbs to Jewish domination. Subtitle, A Muslim's Nightmare. Hello everyone. Welcome to episode number four of our series in which we are studying end times Bible prophecy, based upon the series we have titled the Bible Prophecy Masterclass. Today, We will continue with Part 2 of our consideration of Ezekiel 37.1-28 having to do with God's plan to revive the land of Israel and restore them as a people to be reckoned with on the world stage. As usual, the text for this study is Volume 2 of the series called Judgment Day, Prelude to Armageddon, Part 2. Israel Catapulted to Global Superpower the writer of said series being Mr. Alvin Mitchell, and I am Michael, your host. Please feel free to join us as we invoke the blessing of God upon this and all of the studies to come in this highly informative and instructive series. Good Health and Cosmetology From a sea known for death? Of all the mineral salts known to exist in the Sea of Salt region, those in highest concentration include magnesium, calcium, bromide, potassium, sodium, chloride, and sulfur. Magnesium chloride, fifty three percent, potassium chloride, thirty seven percent, and sodium chloride or common table salt 8%, are the most abundant, while the remainder occur chiefly in trace elements. One has yet to obtain current estimates as to the approximate net worth of the Dead Sea region but its value seems to rest mainly in its ability to draw tourists and in mineral extraction. During the mid-70s, the estimated value of the roughly 50-mile-long by 11-mile-wide pothole was set at around four times the net worth of the U.S., or greater than the four richest European nations combined, or something like that, memory now starting to fade. One article dated 2-17-1929 quoted Sir Herbert Samuel, who put the net worth at around $4 billion. People who know about Israel's Sea of Salt are drawn to it from all around the globe for a variety of reasons, not the least of which are medicinal, therapeutic, and cosmetic, shelter accommodation being provided by many first-class hotels after the order of the likes of the Hyatt. Jewish historian Flavius Josephus is said to have remarked, nearly 2,000 years ago, something to the effect that the Dead Sea was worthy of praise, owing to the healing aspect and impact of its salts upon the human body. Thousands who suffer from psoriasis are said to have been treated effectively by the minerals-laden water, supplemented by a follow-up of bathing under a sun known to be gentler and kinder to exposed skin. Nowhere else on Earth, otherwise harmful solar radiation, some say, is blocked by an atmospheric oxygen level higher than any place else in the world. A bromine concentration 50 times greater than the open seas leaves one feeling relaxed, following a dip, while the magnesium level 15 times that of any ocean makes the skin smooth. Even this lake's black mud, equally rich in minerals, heated to 117F, is hailed as therapeutic and desirable as a treatment for physical ailments like arthritis. Cosmetic products from the Salt Sea are said to be highly prized, much sought after and sold all over the world. While one has never seen the movie, movies, about her, having only read something of her royal, short but sordid and miserable life today, 4 to 805, it has been said that the supposedly brilliant Egyptian queen Cleopatra built cosmetic and pharmaceutical factories in the area, having obtained rights of exclusivity. The Queen of Sheba of King Solomon fame was also a visitor almost 1,000 years earlier. Both Israel and Jordan maintain mineral extraction facilities off the south end of the Sea of Salt's smaller south basin. Dead Sea Works, which manufactures and distributes globally various types of chemicals extracted from the Salt Sea has been running its extraction facilities since 1931. Here they have set up evaporation ponds by which to capture salts left when the water is gone. One of the Israeli facility's chief products is potassium, often marketed in fertilizers for farming. Currently, 135,000 tons are harvested annually, and at this rate, the entire world could be supplied for 250 years. Bromine is, or was, also a widely harvested mineral frequently used in the manufacture of dyes, pharmaceuticals, and in gasoline, however, per some initiative pushed by the Geneva Convention for the Protection of the Earth's Ozone Layer, Israel was to have ceased production in 2001. The reason has to do with an orange smoke given off by the large quantities gathered by the Jews. The smoke is heralded as harmful to this ozone layer. To circumvent this restriction, Israel had plans to move its bromine factory to Jordan, where it could continue to produce until 2011, when the Jordanians as well will be, were, required to cease production. Whether or not this is the full extent of all that God had in mind when He spoke of converting the wealth of the sea to the benefit of His people remains to be seen. One thing that is certain add to all its worth in minerals the possibility for huge oil finds in the area. The Sea of Salt has more than enough potential to completely satisfy His desires for preservation and sustenance of the Jew in Palestine. History Behind the Sea of Salt Despite all the history, historical events written, trounced, and pounded into the sands and soil of that region, all recent accounts of both the sea and its surroundings seem to insist upon portrayal of its supposed beauty only in terms of virginity. Apparently, obviously, if that's the case, it is not entirely the god-forsaken, barren, desolate place any rational being might dream up when one hears the name Dead Sea, although, as one journeys more toward the southern end, it is just that. It is thought the name Dead Sea came into common use and may well have been coined by Jerome. Certainly, it is not an area that has always existed in the condition that it is, as of this very hour, nor has the Salt Sea been subject to its current condition for the millions of years ascribed by the geologists. In fact, God Himself has made certain of the preservation of this witness, for us today, roughly 3,900 years or so ago. Lot visually surveyed the plain of Jordan as it appeared before Jehovah's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, observing how it was a place manifesting a bountiful water supply, how it resembled the garden that God himself had planted, Eden, or pleasure, also like the land of Egypt, from the point where he stood, in Bethel, on elevated ground, across from and overlooking the Jordanian plains, looking south all the way to Zoar, a little town. And it happened in those days that a group of dominate kings declared war on a group of rebel subject kings, the battle setting being the Vale of Sidim, which is the Salt Sea, Genesis 13.10, 14.3. A footnote in my NIV Bible indicates that archaeology now affirms Genesis 3.10, in that prior to the catastrophe God inflicted upon the four or five cities of this region, it was in fact one well-watered and highly populated to points east and southeast of what is now the Dead Sea. Sidebar What might be described as a series of discoveries begun before, leading up to and culminating in 1998, has led by amateur archaeologist Ron Wyatt, netted significant ashen structural finds on both sides of the Sea of Salt in the vicinity of and across the sea from the location of Masada on the lower west corner of the North Basin. In addition to literally millions of glass-covered balls of sulfur, some the size of golf balls, 95-98% pure, with trace elements of magnesium, which would boost the heat from burning sulfur to the extreme as high as 9,000 degrees F. In confirmation of the God-mandated destruction, as well as 1,000,000 graves on the Jordanian side of the Salt Sea, as proof of the former large-scale habitability and habitation of the area, another source points to 1.5 million burials in three locations in that region, with the archaeological discovery and confirmation to five large cities to boot, all fitting the description of the five cities of the plain, per the account given in Genesis 14.2. All of this confirms that the land in the general area of the Dead Sea was much more fertile in the times before and up to Abraham. In addition to the visit by the Queen of Sheba and the Cleopatra Enterprises, both following the aforementioned Sodom and Gomorrah catastrophe, other historical moments surrounding the Sea of Salt include the ministries of John the Baptist and Our Lord Jesus Himself. Some sources claim that it was here, or near here, in the Jordan, that Jesus was baptized by John. This is also the location of choice for the Jewish sect known as the Essenes, as they sought refuge here throughout the 1st and 2nd centuries. It is here that they pinned and stored for us the documents now known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. King Herod was the murderous Idumean king over the Jews at the time of the birth of the Christ. It was here that he built a mountain fortress called Masada, Having killed members of his own family in order to protect his right to the throne, his hope was to retire here. He was also the murderer of many Jewish infants between birth and two years old in hope of killing and thereby quelling any kingly threat in Jesus. Following the death of Herod in 4 AD, Masada was captured and garrisoned by the Romans. Once the Jewish revolt went into full swing, leading to the fall of Jerusalem, The Zealots, about 1,000 Jewish extremists, who it seems might just as well have been brother to modern-day Arab extremists, took to the hills, as it were, forcing out the Romans at Masada. Here, after a three-year stand against the might of a vastly superior legionary assault, 960 of them, men, women, and children, committed suicide— rather than submit to the power of Rome, where slavery and prostitution were assured. With the collapse of the Masada stronghold in 70 AD, Israel ceased to be recognized as a nation until 1948, also in contradistinction to geologists' preference for a high-salinity lake forming over three million years or so, Genesis 14.3 demands that there was no water body of this scale back of 4,000 years ago in this area. Rather, there was only the veil, a broad depression, of sedim, flats, or a broad depressed area marked and therefore noteworthy by virtue of the flatness of its bottom. One could say this is pretty remarkable given that the Jordan even today is capable of delivering in excess of a million tons of water per day directly into that lake, only 10% of its capacity reaches the sea as we speak. The inhabitants of this locale must have devised some sort of diversionary project or irrigation canal system which would take the Jordan water directly to where it was needed for farming and other daily needs. That is, if one allows for the presupposition that the topography may not have been so structured naturally. At any rate, it was here in this depression where the warring kings, with their armies, met to settle accounts, which proves it has not always been, and it probably was not originally filled with water. Moreover, the writer sums the matter by pointing out that this veil of Sidom or broad, flat depression in the landscape, roughly 50 miles long, 11 miles wide, is the same as the area now occupied by the Salt Sea. The Hebrew for salt actually means powder, hence it is a powdered sea, or a sea of powder. No information is given in the scriptures as to how or when the Siddam Valley became filled with water, at least not directly. Equally, There is no good solid reason to put faith in the far-fetched fairy tales of the geologists in terms of how the valley formed and or accumulated so much salt. In the absence of hard evidence, his fantasies do have a unique way of not panning out when pitted against the word of the Almighty God. And while even so-called Bible scholars, theologians, seem determined not to give God the glory, Most anyone of any reputation does seem resigned to acknowledge several key biblical tenets of the area. It was once fertile and well-watered. It was well-peopled, home to, and able to support multitudes, congregated in five cities, towns scattered throughout the region. The principal cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, did exist and were situated in what the Bible considers the plains, somewhere toward the southern end of the valley of Sidim, not in it. Their ruins were still quite visible during the time of one of the Jews' best-known historians. Both cities, along with three other neighbors, suffered a simultaneous near-sudden catastrophic end. Interestingly and curiously, perhaps, we are told that the valley of Sidim was formerly filled with slime pits, or, more accurately, Wells of a rising, oozing, bitumen, tar-like substance, Genesis 14.10. That is, these wells, with their slowly perking and bubbling tar-like elixir, were actually in the Vale of sidim, positioned throughout, not around the periphery. Moreover, it should be noted that bitumen, tar, asphalt, i.e. slime, does not exist in nature in a soft, gooey state, except as it is near a sizable heat source. That there is and was 3,900 years ago, such an active source is evinced by the presence of several underwater hot springs on both sides of the sea, even today. This is consistent with the observations of first-century historians, the likes of Flavius Josephus, Jewish, born 37 A.D., and Cornelius Tacitus, Roman, i.e. Italian, born 55 A.D., roughly 2,000 years ago, and U.S. naval officer W. F. Lynch, who in 1848 completed the first-ever attempt, since the Romans, to discover the mysteries of the Dead Sea and lived to tell about it. Not long before him, two others died trying one on the spot, the other shortly after his return home sick, apparently not knowing that the sea of salt contained dangerously high levels of magnesium, which can destroy lung tissue and foul up the respiratory system, bringing certain death if one is not careful. Both Josephus and Lynch saw asphalt patches floating on the waters. Some of the pieces Josephus claims to have seen were the size of bulls without heads. Apparently, no one has ever seen evidence of asphalt outside of its perimeters, either before or after the destruction. It is always floating on the waters. Its appearance is always indicative of the presence of oil and natural gas. As a testament to the plentiful presence of tar during the days of their sway over Palestine, the Greeks named the Sea of Salt Lacus Asphaltitis, or Lake of Asphalt. Not unlike many aspects of Holy Writ, the veil of Sidim, Salt Sea and all the issues they raise is indeed an enigma, a source of great mystery for all who have ever bothered to grapple with it, giving it the least bit of serious attention, Bible scholars, theologians, archaeologists, geologists, etc. The Bible's own clues as augmented by the facts of modern science Knowledge should begin to clear the air. Observe 1. The depression of Sidim was easily accessible, which means that while it was yet obviously and conspicuously a depressed, flat area, it was no less very shallow compared to its present state. 2. The king of Sodom and company chose it as their battle site. Their choice was deliberate. They did not simply happen to fall into it, they knew its terrain the hazards and its dangers, which must have been much worse then, before the destruction, than in the Lord's day or that of Lynch, and much more than now. The gases emanating from the pits in those days would not have been muted or muffled by standing water, as at this hour, hence they may well have been much stronger and more deadly. They appear to have had no real intention of fighting, or at least there does not appear to have been much of an effort put forth, as rather they hope to gain the upper hand based upon the presence of the wells of molten tar, and fumes with which those kings living almost 1,000 miles away may well have not been familiar. 3. The floor of the Siddim Depression had plenty of these wells of tar in its empty, elevated state. As stated above, The presence of tar or bitumen generally signifies the presence of petroleum, as well as natural gas. Much of the basis for today's global oil search market is said to have been located based in part on old ancient documents which spoke of this phenomenon. A. The Greeks emphasized the presence of gases thought to be poisonous, emanating from the lake during the times of their domination and occupation. B. The Arabs have spoken of old times, when even a bird could not fly across the lake, as the fumes would literally knock it out of the sky, dead on impact. C. The 1848 Lynch expedition, which began north of Lake Hule, on Matt Herman and culminated at and with a thorough search of the Dead Sea, having followed the Jordan River all the way down, confirmed many of the stories about the lake, giving the world a first-ever accurate assessment and analysis of the Sea of Salt. 1. It is nearly impossible to drown there, as nothing will sink. Nothing can live in the waters or grow on the land surrounding them, their banks being desolate and barren. The water's salinity level then was 30%. 3. The beaches were characterized by large, coagulated deposits of sparkling white salt. 4. The air was saturated with intense, piercing, bitter odors, smells indicating a mix of petroleum and sulfur. 5. Oily asphalt patches floated on the surface of the water. 6. The surrounding landscape was said to be forbidding in appearance. In light of the life-threatening breathing hazards associated with the presence of these active petroleum wells, it is highly unlikely and totally unreasonable to assume that any of the five cities destroyed by God were actually built within the confines of the Valley of Siddam. Sidebar. Some scholars, having been forced by their own findings to retract their earlier claims that the cities were situated north of the Dead Sea, have yet again rejected without adequate cause the Bible's testimony, erroneously placing the cities inside the Depression, preferring to believe they were flooded after the destruction. As shown earlier, the witness of Josephus and Tacitus, both voices from the past, and more recently that of Ron Wyatt, placed the cities right where God said they were, above board, in plain view, outside the depression of the tar pit infested flats as for the wyatt find one might add that as remarkable and intriguing as it is there does appear to have been no appreciable stir in any community be it geologist archaeologist historian or bible scholar religionist of any genre since mr wyatt's revelation in the late 1990s after almost 20 years The only voice of affirmation seems to be His. One has thus far been unable to find any information in books or on the web to signify that persons of any significance have ever ventured to take His work seriously. For this reason, considering that in legal and spiritual matters, God's standard was, is such that every issue should be settled per the testimony of two or more witnesses, one may do well to log his studies in the for-what-it's-worth file for now. Thus, then, we conclude, based upon all that has been said to this point, that the history of the Sea of Salt includes not just a legacy in vast, lucrative mineral salt reserves, as the locale of that oceanic pothole has also been, and perhaps still is, a harbor of great underground petroleum reserves, maybe the largest in the world, as some have suggested, all now underwater, which causes one to pause as he wonders why there has been so much emphasis on drilling throughout Israel, in the Mediterranean, and even around the lake itself, but apparently none in it. Could this be the area of, for the Jews, God's concealed covert storehouse, the one filled with the buried valuables to be extracted to their benefit by the foreign hands of some secular messiah, himself reminiscent of the Medo-Persian king Cyrus? How much oil was there originally? How much is there now? What happened to it, and why or how was it that this depression of the flats in which it is now contained came to be filled with water? See Appendix A for some thoughts on how God provided that the sea should be formed. And with that, my friends, we have reached the end of episode number four of the Bible Prophecy Masterclass, rooted in a reading from the book Judgment Day, Volume 2, Prelude to Armageddon, Part 2, Israel Catapulted to International Superpower, written by author Alvin Mitchell. As we depart please make sure to smash that like button and make plans now to be with us again next time for the fifth episode of the Bible Prophecy Masterclass. Until then, may God richly bless you.